Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thanks for joining us today. This morning, I want you to meet another one of the many amazing community leaders we have here in Minnesota. Her name is Marquita Stevens. She's the president and CEO of Urban League Twin Cities, an organization that works to empower people, particularly Black people and those living in underserved communities through education and employment and by building generational wealth. Marquita is the first woman to hold the top spot in the organization, formerly known as the Minneapolis Urban League, in its 98-year history. Now, prior to this job, she'd already spent many years working to improve the lives of others, from focusing on community engagement and multicultural issues at Roseville area schools, to her role as the CEO of the African American Adoption Agency. Today, Marquita Stevens is in the studio with me. Welcome to the program, Marquita. It is good to see you. Thank you very much. It's Great to be here. And I have to say, leadership looks good on you. <laughs> Thank you. You look good. How does it feel to be in, in this top job rather in a supporting role? Actually, it's very exciting. I get a chance to spread my wings throughout the organization rather than limiting it to one segment of the organization. And so that feels good. Um, <laughs> coming up through the ranks of the organization allowed me to build relationships with staff as I went. And so it made it for an easy transition into the top spot. Mm-hmm. And and you're seeing things, you 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 know, the community and you know, the people. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you go from uh, interim to then being named the uh, president, you're ready. Yes. Yeah, you feel like you're ready. And, you know, I feel like most people, I mentioned this to you when I came in, many people are familiar with the NAACP. But the Urban League also has this long and very distinctive history in the civil rights movement, both nationally and locally. So when you meet folks, how do you describe the mission of the Urban League? Um, How do you describe what the organization is trying to accomplish? Well, our formal mission is to provide platforms and pathways and programs for African descendants to dismantle racist structures, overcome racial disparities, and achieve equitable outcomes for all. Um, And we do that in a number of ways. We pay close attention to employment trends, housing trends, and educational trends that impact Black um, residents and communities at large. So we've been doing that as an Urban League for over 90 years. Mm -hmm. And Minnesotans have looked to us as a source of strength in the community. And so we've done all of these things very well and on behalf of the African descendants who live within our borders. Jobs, housing, um, education, all of those things, Marquita, you know, really key to being able to live a fruitful life. And so when I think of the Urban League, I, I think about, I really do think about that economic empowerment part of it, uh, a big focus of the Urban League's work. Talk to me about what you know, as as an individual, as a person, um, the importance of economic stability in a family, uh, economic stability, you know, for for an individual, what does that mean? Economic stability is key. It is in the American culture, it is a very much a part of our sense of self, our sense of being, our sense of dignity, our sense of Mm self-worth. And As we are able to provide for not only ourselves, but our families, we achieve a sense of pride, not only in ourselves, but in our communities as we contribute to the well-being of both. And so feeling secure in your your finances, feeling secure and like I have stable housing, 
uh, feeling secure. I have the job skills I need. Feeling secure about I have the education I need. It allows you as a as a person to to walk and talk and move in a different way. It does. It right. does. It really does. It makes you. It allows you to move with some confidence that you otherwise would not have. Um, as we all know from every commercial that you see on TV, economic empowerment is is uh, the goal. And we, to the extent that we can build wealth, it's even a it's it's an even greater experience for us as not only a family but a community. As I talk with Marquita Stevens about her work as the president and CEO of Urban League Twin Cities, I want to hear from you too, our listeners. What questions do you have about? the Urban League. How would you like to see your community come together for a more equitable future? And are you looking for some ideas on on how to make some positive changes in in your town, in your community? The phone lines are open. You can call us as you can every uh, every morning at nine o'clock. Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651-227-6000 or call us at 800-242-2828. And here in the Twin Cities, if, if you've ever benefited from an Urban League program, give us a call. 651-227-6000. Marquita, I mentioned the organization was formerly called the Minneapolis Urban League. Um, The Urban League Twin Cities is the result of a a merger between the Minneapolis and St. Paul uh, uh, chapters. Uh, Take us back and tell us why was that merger necessary and and, and what is different now that it is uh, one unit? At the time of the uh, move into the Urban League Twin Cities, the Urban League of St. Paul wasn't operating. Mm -hmm. And so the National Urban League granted a um, charter to cover the Twin Cities. So it was essentially just filling the formally filling the void. Um, I live in St. Paul, so I'm happy to see that. (laughs) Happy to know that 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 is Mm -hmm. happening. And so... uh, and that really creates more unity as well. Yes. Right. Yes. And so have you seen a, a change since the organization became became one and that the entire metro area is, is being um, addressed by this one agency? Well, it's exciting to announce today that we are establishing a satellite office in St. Paul. We are renting space from the YWCA on Selby and Western. Oh. And we'll be operating services from that location as well. So it won't be the labor of driving through the tunnels at rush hour for mm-hmm. people who want to avail services in the evening for either education, housing, or housing. Those are the two programs that have evening um, uh, convenings. Accessibility. That's great. Mm-hmm. So a mm-hmm. St. Paul office of Urban League Twin Cities is opening uh, there in the YWCA building yes, on Selby and St. Paul. How soon is that? It's open now. It opened this month. Oh, my goodness. That's great news. So we should be posting rather soon on our website the um, monthly sessions for housing, as well as starting a Black Gems program, which is our educational program in St. Paul as well. Gems as in G-E-M-S? G-E-M-S. Educational program. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have to tell you, uh, I am a huge fan of the Urban League. During the height of the pandemic, I saw how busy the staff 
uh, was with planning and offering virtual events to help people, uh, so many people who saw their lives turned upside down. You know, in 2020, 2021, 2023, jobs were lost or drastically changed uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and, as well as, as healthcare needs uh, that became priorities with, you know, um, access to the vaccine, just mm-hmm. information about the virus. Um, are you proud of how the Urban League really rose to the occasion um, at a really dark time in the history of the state as well as the country? I really am. I think that our program that we offered probably for a year after COVID first started called Real Talk, where we initially started it because I thought <clears throat> that we that there were so many rumors about the vaccine and, and like mm-hmm. um, in the black community that I wanted to use the fact that we had a trusted voice in the community to provide safe and accurate information to our constituency about the about the pandemic, about the vaccine, about what to expect, where to go, who to trust, that kind of thing. So we started that during the pandemic, and then we kept it going for a while um, thereafter, <clears throat> talking about whatever the various issues were of the day. Uh, we ended it probably maybe a year ago. Um, I, I remember there was a lot of vaccine hesitancy, is mm-hmm. what is the term that was mm-hmm. coined, uh, particularly among African Americans because mm-hmm. of just the history of of, of yes. you know healthcare mm-hmm. and 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 even you know experimental treatments with African Americans. And so that's an example of how the Urban League was really meeting the needs of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And then with the job loss, there were you, you all were doing a lot with virtual job fairs, trying to help yes. people find new jobs. Yes, we were. We went to a virtual job fair format with great success. Employers were very happy, very willing to use that platform to recruit um, employees for their open positions. So it was it was we have the ability to pivot on a dime, as they say. Mm -hmm. And we did that and we did that very well. I'm really proud of the way everybody stepped up at the Urban League in terms of staff, because we're such a mission-driven organization, it was easy to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, the previous president uh, well, of the Minneapolis Urban mm-hmm. League, uh, Stephen Belton, who's been mm-hmm. a guest on this program, um, you know, a lot of, of demanding situations popped up uh, after the murder of George Floyd. So social justice is also mm-hmm. very much part of the mission of the Urban League. And then during those initial years, those first couple of, of years after that, uh, what role was the Urban League playing in trying to bring some understanding to the community or, or allowing people to, to feel heard? One of the things that I did um, probably a little over a year ago was work with the um, Office of Civil Rights for the city and bring black leaders together during the time that the um, consent decree, the federal investigation was investigation was going on that would lead to the consent degree in the same way post the state um, consent, post the state report. Um, And we had people interview with the investigators. We had people come together and talk about what they wanted to see in um, the police um, monitoring and behavior thereafter. Uh, It was good connection with the community and allowing them to have direct access to the people that would be making the decisions. Um, We stay involved with that work. We certainly are one of the ones that are applying for the monitoring position for the uh, consent degree. 
and we hope to be able to stay involved with that on a more um, regular basis as we move forward. So it sounds like, again, um, people trust the Urban League. And so standing in that gap, trying to bring people together to to reach solutions, that's part of what you all Mm -hmm. do. What mm-hmm. you do. Uh, we're talking with the president and CEO of the Urban League Twin Cities, Marquita Stevens, and taking your phone calls. Uh, what questions do you have about the work the Urban League does? Or do you have ideas uh, on how you'd like to make some positive changes in your community? Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651-227-6000. Or you can call 800-242-2828. Marquita, let's take some phone calls from listeners in Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Uh, in South Minneapolis, we have Bilal on the line. Good morning, Bilal. Thank you for calling in. What did you want to share or ask? Hey, good morning. How are you doing today? Well, how are you? Good. Thank you for asking. I was just listening in. Uh, I'm a younger gentleman. I'm 25 years old. And I just had a couple questions in terms of like, basically, I've heard of the NAACP. I feel like everybody has. And you know what they are doing for just all of, all of the black community all around the country. Even from outside the country, you heard of the NAACP. It's like the American UN, basically. But my question to you guys is the Urban, the urban League, um, what are they doing for, like, the youth? I feel like there's um, a lot going on with, um, if you live in Minneapolis, whether it be north, northeast, downtown, south side, um, I feel like there's, like, kind of a growing problem with uh, our youth. Mm-hmm. Um crime and whatnot kind of like what, what, what does the urban league do that's a you? that's a great question Bilal. thank you for calling in uh and and he shares a question that many people uh, a concern many people have are uh, the younger generation a lot of young people who who are lost and need support and guidance and so marquita as you look at the programs offered by urban league twin cities uh where does where, does, where do young people fall? What is the Urban League doing to address so many of the issues that young people are having? I think of uh, two directions that the Urban League uh, walks <clears throat> walks out that issue. One is the um, in the education realm. Mm-hmm. We have the Black Gems program, and it's a career and college readiness program for high school students. And there's high school students throughout the Twin Cities. It's not school-based. It's, you know, community-based in terms of anybody can join as long as they're in high school. And we do a number of things because we focus on social-emotional learning. We're building the the self-awareness, the self-confidence skills of kids so that whatever they choose to do post-high school, they'll be successful at. Part of that program is a, which is free, by the way, free to the to the participants, um, part of the program culminates in an HBCU tour. And that tour is also grounded in the um, legacy and civil rights sites that birth those HBCUs in those specific cities and communities. So it's a really um, strong program in terms of building self-awareness and tackling some of those things that you that the caller is really addressing in terms of what kids are thinking about, how do they show up? What are some alternative ways of thinking? How do they take advantage of that which is before them? Um, how do they relate to one another? What are what are the various communication styles that are appropriate in different situations? All of those kinds of things prepare um, young people for the world ahead. 
The, the other area that I think we use is the YPs. The YPs are young professionals. So it's a group of um, under 40 um, people that um, have varying skills and do a number of different things in the community, particularly around advocacy work. So they in advocacy, they were the arm that was really active in um, uh, the Crown Act and some of the marijuana uh, legislation that has been passed, et cetera. They're active in that. I would suggest that, uh, that the um, caller contact the YPs and bring they, that concern that? to young, them. Young professionals? The young professionals. Within the Urban League? Within the Urban League. Call the Urban League desk, and they'll put you in touch with the president of the of the young professionals, the YPs, and you can use that group to develop the connection with young people in the way that you're thinking. I think a lot of people, for me, I I think about when I think about young young um, young black kids, teenagers, young adults. I also think about the entire family, the black family. Uh, what has happened uh, over the years to the the black family families? And so, how do you describe what the Urban League is doing to support and strengthen? Families, because, you know, that that economic part of it, the employment and the education that that's connected. But how do you describe how the Urban League can support and is supporting black families so that uh, maybe the, the parenting skills that are needed and the stability that is needed has a positive impact on young people? One of the little known programs and actually newer programs of the Urban League is called a community caring for its children. And it is a result of the observation, actually the observation that was made when I was running the adoption agency, of the number of people that were having their number of families that had children being removed by child protection for reasons of neglect. And neglect often due to poverty. So we there's a law in Minnesota that you can use where you can designate in the event of a disruption who cares for your children. And so we mounted a campaign, which we continue to do, to strengthen the knowledge base of the community around these options. So the premise is that in any family system, you know who the weak link is. <laughs> and and there is a way that you can create a safety plan for the kids so that they don't get caught up in the child protection system um, in the event there's a disruption. And so we talk to groups to let them know what those steps are and that um, as a result of that, they can keep their kids within the family system and out of child protection. That's building the strength of the community. And if to the extent that we can build the capacity of the community to care for its children, to embrace its children, to um, inspire and and protect its children, we can then advocate for the elimination of the laws that interfere with that. So you started working with the Urban League uh, back in 2017, and at that time you led the education division. Mm -hmm. um, you instituted uh, the Center for the Advancement of Black Families mm -hmm. and the Community Caring for Its Children program. Um, and there's also a, a parent academy. So what does this mean? If, if I'm in a family, let's say I'm a grandma, I'm old enough now to be a grandma, but I'm not. But if I were a grandma and I'm seeing some things in my family and I want to support and do something so I can come to the Urban League and, and what do I say to you or how can you help me? Well, you ask for Joni Williams, who <laughs> runs the Community Caring for His Children program. And, and and one of the things that she does is work with individual families and um, try to create that safety plan. 
in the event it's a family that doesn't get along particularly well or they have estranged members, um, we do family group conferencing where we pull everybody together and focus them on the well-being of the child, what's good for the child. So we we help to the extent that they will allow us to help and provide those kinds of safety nets for kids that they need in order to live a fruitful life and take advantage of the the readiness for work, readiness for self-employment, if that's their desire, readiness to own homes, et cetera. Let's take another phone call from a listener as we talk with Marquita Stevens, the CEO and president of the Urban League Twin Cities, learning more about the work that the Urban League does and also about Marquita. Uh, in Egan, we have Gurma on the line. Good morning, Gurma. Thank you for calling in. Thank you for waiting. What did you want to say or ask? Thank you so much, uh, Angela. Uh, always listen to your video. And, uh, Thank you. Uh, video and awesome, awesome programs uh, that you have host. And I congratulate um, Makida uh, for new post. And uh, Thank I, you. I bit, yeah, I bit, I've been working with a transportation company uh, last year. I, one of my a part of my job was, uh, you know, reviewing video when uh, drivers like complain about kids. Every kid had issues. In particular, we had over ninety percent of African American kids. Uh, being complained and transferred from one school to another school, uh, you know, every month, sometimes. So I was, as a dad, I've been concerned so much because these kids need direction. These mm-hmm. kids need opportunity. These kids need, uh, you know, the community that they live in. They are being misguided. They are being maybe misparenting. And it's really a uh, need an organization like yours to step in and work with the community, work with the school, work with the parents. I am very concerned they are ready to go to the pipeline that has been created, uh, you know, to, to eat uh, African-American kids. Mm-hmm. So it's very important that we... We work together. You know, I, I'm from Oromo Community of Minnesota, and we have our own issue at the same time. However, it needs a collective uh, effort with organizations like yours. Mm. Uh, I really thank you for what you do, and I, I uh, wish you a better success. Thank in, you. In, That's Grammar there in Egan. And I think reflecting, a lot of people statewide are feeling this pressing need, the need today, one of the, the areas uh, of most concern has to do with teenagers uh, who, uh, because of, you know, lack of direction, um, you know, maybe the parenting wasn't the best, the environment that they, they are looking for. Uh, opportunities are looking to be seen. They need help. Um, and, and when you hear that, I mean, Marquita, you've got experience. You work in Roseville area schools in, in community engagement, uh, multicultural issues. What did you see in that job when you were working with the public schools in Roseville? What was happening with, with, with teenage kids and, and, and how an organization like the Urban League can help? It's a good question. And I think, I thank the caller for bringing this to the forefront. Um <clears throat> A number of things that are happening that no one organization can address. Right. And so it's right. it's vital that we create partnerships one with the other in order to address some of the issues that confront us as a community, as a society. 
Um, <clears throat> one of the things that we um, that we did when I was working in the education realm specifically, um, and this indirectly addresses what you're saying, but it is a model for you to consider, the caller to consider, and, and those who are of like mind. There have always been stakeholders in the educational process, but the power relationship or the power dynamic among them was always uneven. The situations in education in schools is not going to change until the power dynamic is equalized amongst all the stakeholders. That means parents, school board members, educators, teachers, administrators, all of those, there, are, there, can, there can no longer be big fish and little fish. They all have to come to the table with different roles, but the same power relationship. And until that happens, you won't find the kind of change that you need to find that will address the varying situations that educators and schools find themselves in. So let's start there. Um, then in terms of community support, schools can't do it all. So there has to be a resurgence of the a realignment with between and among various um, nonprofit organizations. So we often have a partnership with the WISE. Um, we've had partnership with Boys and Girls Clubs and some of the rec centers in order to address some of the things that we see um, because well, we can all offer different things at different times to the same population. So rather than overwhelm them, let's go, we cooperate from time to time to provide them in a sequential manner the things that they need. Marquita, what are you seeing though with just young people that you encounter in your daily life. Uh, you know, I, I see young people who are stuck, who are lost, who are scared. Uh, and, and in many cases don't really feel like there's anyone they can turn to who sees them, who they trust, who they can talk to. I guess when we first start black gyms in October, September, whenever we first started and kids come in from everywhere, in fact, a lot of the kids come from suburban schools as opposed to the city schools. Um, but nonetheless, they come, and they come differently. They come high achievers, and they come with, you know, on the border. The beautiful thing about all of the kids is that they leave understanding that they've been seen, that who they are is valuable and worthy, that they have just as much to offer each other, no matter what spectrum, economic spectrum they come from, and they are stronger as a result of it. That's, that's what I want to see. That's the beauty of self-development, of self-worth, of being able to manage your surroundings as you manage yourself. And that's what we see. We need more of that. And so we have to be deliberate about it. And I think that a lot of the nonprofits are working to do the same thing. Whenever we connect with the wise, I see the same thing there. Their approach is different, but it's the same objective. Um, and so to the extent that the public can enroll their kids in these programs, they'll be the better for it. Let's talk about wealth, uh, generational wealth. How does the Urban League focus on uh on, on wealth development. And what are we talking about? Are we talking about uh, uh, buying a house? Are we talking about what does that mean? If that's a big focus of what the Urban League has been, has been doing for more than 90 years. We've 
primarily been involved or engaged in the housing um, home ownership area of building wealth and as a beginning point for people. Um, certainly it's not the end all. There are investment strategies, et cetera, that we also um, want to make sure people are aware of. But it starts with um, building wealth through home ownership. And so our housing department does a lot of work with preparing buyers for home ownership, helping them with their credit, getting them to understand what does it mean to own a home, um, what's the post-closing experience mm-hmm. when you have the total responsibility for the upkeep of your home, et cetera. So it's really preparing them for home ownership. And then I think under um, Stephen Belton, my predecessor's leadership, the African-American Land Trust was started. And so that's another option for particular groups that might um, need a little more help with achieving the American dream. The other part of it in terms of building wealth that our current uh, director, Catrice Williams, is in the process of developing has to do with investments and being able to bring together people to um, pull their money into an investment club type of an arrangement Mm -hmm. and hopefully be able to then use some of it to seed into black businesses. Do you have success stories you can think of, of how home ownership has really, you know, changed someone's life or how they, how they view life? Do you, do you see that happen often that once someone goes through that, that arduous process, process of saving enough money to buy a home and, and, and understanding um, all that you need to know about, you know, mortgages and, um, and getting settled into the house. How does that change a family? It is, it is just amazing. Um, because it's it's not an easy task when you're coming from a deficit position mm-hmm. and have to do all of the things that you need to do in order to qualify for a home, find a home, and then settle into a home. <clears throat> and to know that there's somebody that walks that path with you is an important part of that process. Somebody that you can ask questions of, somebody there that advocates for you. Um, and walks with you through the various programs that you might qualify for. That's a, And when you get through all of that and you're in your home, you've got your keys, it's yours, there is a sense of pride, a sense of self-worth, a sense of accomplishment that is unlike no other, really. Um, we see smiles on the faces of moms with children, of families that have done this major accomplishment, this major financial commitment um, for the first time. And it's just amazing. And it's amazing to walk with that, walk with them through that whole process. So your organization, the Urban League, um, has this history, this tradition, currently still helping lots of people find work. Tell us uh, about the Urban League Twin Cities employment and training programs. Um, what is What is offered? Most recently, I think the what I would share with the audience is the um, urban tech program that we have. It's a skill building in IT emphasis that we have at the moment. <clears throat> and um, there's varying levels from um, entry level IT work all the way to cybersecurity and classes that you can take and get certified in. We're currently looking for additional funding to make that program a little broader than what it's been, but we do have the um, ability to do the training, get people certified, and prepare for jobs.
So over the last few years, we've seen the unemployment rate in Minnesota uh, be, you know, really, really low. But mm-hmm. when we look at uh, at black folks, it's it's higher than the, you know, the, the the overall rate. And so what do you make of that? Is that getting better? And and what is getting in the way of people finding jobs that um, allow them to have, you know, uh, to, to meet the, the cost of living with the wages that they need? Mm-hmm, hmm I think that um, the couple of things are at play. One is readiness, job readiness. Um, you have to have the skills that employers are looking for. <clears throat> and so we try to help with that. That's why we're focusing on the IT realm. 92%, I believe, of jobs require some kind of IT proficiency. And so we can no longer ignore that as a community. Um, they've done more in schools to prepare kids for that so that they graduate with a sense of knowledge about um, IT. But there are those who are older who didn't have that benefit going through that really do have to retool and um, get prepared for the jobs that are currently offered. So that's one thing. And we try to help with that with the IT emphasis that we have. And when we look at social justice, um, what is the Urban League doing in in that area? Lots. (laughs) I think that's our bread and butter, really, in terms of our our claim to fame, so to speak. Um, Most recently, we were involved in the legislative activity with the passage of the marijuana law. And we continue to advocate to make sure that the dispensaries that are made available are made available to those who will be released um, who had drug convictions so that they may be owners of the dispensaries in light of the change in law. What does that mean? Creating an opportunity for the the a business model for yes. to be more inclusive? Yes, yes. So that they're not automatically ruled out, but ruled in to consideration for those who would get the um, license to run a dispensary. Tell me why? Why is that important? Because they were convicted of a crime that is no longer a crime, hmm. and that's the that's key in the dismantling of the black family. So then, there's mass incarceration. That that's replaced Jim Crow. So if you want to follow the the yellow brick road of of um, discrimination against black folk, that's where it'll lead is mass incarceration. So your organization, um, I mean, the Urban League um, is is uh, playing a role in trying to, to help uh, people who are eligible to have their criminal records um, expunged. Um, under the the new state, the state's new marijuana law, um, but so how did you do that? Was it in testimony during the the legislative sessions, or what is the relationship? And are you trying to be a voice for the folks who ha- have these um, uh, con- convictions on their records, making sure people are taking the steps that they need to get their records expunged, their convictions expunged. Right. Um, our role in it was to be part of the legislative advocacy teams that met with legislators. In fact, we have a Center for Social Justice that's run by Dr. Alvin Akbar, and it was he and his group that um, actually wrote some of the language that is currently in law concerning the elimination of the um, prohibition, I mean, elimination of the the, um, charges for um, marijuana abuse or selling. 
And so we want to make sure that those people that were convicted of that, those families that have been destroyed by that, those families weren't even able to become families because of that. Um, and those primarily being choices for economic gain, for economic stability. If we want to have economic stability in the community, then we have to pay attention to those kinds of things as well. Um, give people options for that that may have low skills in other ways um, so that they can earn a living in legitimate ways. Um, and so we want to make sure that they come out with the ability to do just that. One of those pathways, because they clearly know the business, they clearly know how to market the business. So so um, I think they can be successful. So you've seen a lot of people, a lot of families um, harmed, uh, suffer a lot of setbacks because of marijuana convictions. Yes. Yes. So t- tell me more about that to the to the degree that it's 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 more widespread than people realize. I think so. And I think that's why you had the momentum that you did with the reversal of the law, um, be, you know, because of that. It, it's, you know, and it doesn't just affect black families. It, it affects all families. Um, it's not that black people are the only people that use marijuana. That's far from the truth. It affects everyone, but all ethnicities, rather. But um, we want to make sure that in the case of African-American families, that it doesn't continue to rob the community of its of its um, assets and its assets are its people. And so is the Urban League able to, to help people who are looking for new jobs, who are trying to, to figure out how to navigate this system to get, you know, to start a new life, uh, to to understand what they need to do so they can get this job that puts them on a new path? I think you hit it and hit the nail on the head. That's exactly who we are. And that's, that's the distinction between us and an employment agency. We see you. We know who you are when you walk through the door. We welcome you. We pull out a chair for you. There is no story that you can tell us that we haven't heard and in many instances, haven't lived. So because of that, we're able to connect in a way that is non-judgmental, that is welcoming, and that allows us to help you see yourself in the best light. Mm-hmm. And when we move you from where you are when you come in to where you can be when you leave, we know that you don't leave us on the same path that you came to us on. That's who we are. So it's not, or the Urban League story is not so much of what we do, but it's who we are. That's what distinguishes us from the others. A place, uh, a trusted place. Yes. Mm -hmm. And a place that sees you, a place that understands, a place that's not judgmental. And that transcends age. We were talking earlier about uh, teenagers, but I can be, 50 or 60 years old mm-hmm. and still have a new mm-hmm. path that is, is tangible. Mm-hmm. I just need someone to give me some direction. Exactly. Exactly. It's like the, um, in fact, I heard Keith Ellison use an example of, of, of somebody who he had run into in his campaigning days that couldn't vote because of the prohibition of, um, felons not being able to vote. Mm-hmm. So that was another piece of legislation that we were actively involved in. In fact, we and did. And that has now changed. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we um, 
hosted the press release that Steve Simon did awarding the group for its work in in that. Um, and one of the things that he talked about there's a there's a a lot of activity around the newly released, letting them know that they can vote. But what about the twenty year old felon, the the felon that the person who was convicted of a felony twenty years ago? That nobody's reaching out to those people. So that's our work is to reach out to those people who have been forgotten, who have internalized the um, disrespect that comes with that and let them know that they're free to participate in democracy fully. We're talking with the president and CEO of Urban League Twin Cities, Marquita Stevens. Uh, what questions do you have about the work of the Urban League today and in the past? Give us a call at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Marquita, let's take a phone call from Minneapolis. David is on the phone. David, thank you for waiting. What did you want to ask or share? Hi. Uh, Hi, David. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I just wanted to kind of share that the Urban League is a great organization, great leadership, doing fantastic work for the community. I I just don't I I think two callers before me. You just have to ask the question: What can I do for the Urban League? not what can the Urban League do for me. I think that's the mindset that we should be having. That's one. But two, it's great to have great organizations and institute great societies and things like that. But that's all great and dandy. It's all about parenting at the end of the day. Urban League would not be able to parent our kids that are young adults today. So we, as the parents, we have to focus on instituting values into our kids. Education, faith, if if you believe in faith, um, morals, integrity, those type of things that how can how can the school and and that's another one that comes to mind is we believe in oh we have to have a good school district the school district is great but they wouldn't be able to teach your kids again so so you're concerned about parenting parent. you want to know parent parenting. about parenting issues well i have a thought about this so if you look at parents like what prevents someone from being a good parent i think most people want to be good parents. They want to love their children. They want to provide a stable and safe home. But life gets in the way. Things take them off that path. And and Marquita, how do you feel about this issue of like what can be done to support people so that they can be the parents that the children need? And and economic stability is a big part of it. Yeah, economic stability is a big part of it. But but I go back to the community that I was in as a child. When I was a child. In Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in the black community in Pittsburgh, we were on, I guess I was a child on the cusp of integration. So black community back then was everybody. You you know, <laughs> the doctor, the lawyer, the, the, the 
telephone repairman, the, you know, postal worker, everybody, the welfare, per, you know, recipients, everybody was in the same community because that's how housing, you know, segregation worked. <clears throat> and you built a community based on the assets of the people. And people looked out for one another, and I'm not trying to romanticize it. It was just that that's what happened. And we've gotten away from that as a society, as a community. We've gotten selfish. And, you know, this, the American way. We've gotten selfish. What do you well, mean? we've gotten selfish. We tend to look after our own needs. We tend to make sure we're good and and those that we're responsible for are good. So you don't have the sharing that you had back then. And I'm not trying to say we should go back there, mm-hmm. but because it had its own problems. But I, but we but what we did lose that we did not replace was the notion of the care one for the other. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the in my in my block, the welfare mother that watched out of her window, that was Miss Dorothy, I remember her to this day, <laughs> would be sitting in her window when all the kids came home from school. And if you were misbehaving, you know, down the street, coming up, she called you out. And, um, uh, and there were those people just within the within the community. Education was valued. There were some common community values back then. And in as integration increased, and people moved out, you know, because they had more options, and um, and took those options. Um, the community changed. I grew up and went away, so, you know, I don't, but I do know that we, I don't see that in the same way that I saw it back mm, then. So when I say we've become selfish, we've become self-centered, we tend to take care of our own as opposed to looking out for the other. If we do look out for the other, it's the other that's like us as opposed to the other that's not like us. Um, we weren't a welfare family, but. We looked out for the welfare family, and the welfare family looked out for us. Families took care of each other. They did, and that's not the case anymore. We have a minute left. It's uh, important for me to let people know uh, the Urban League Twin Cities has a big event coming up next Friday, October 13th. It's the annual Urban League Twin Cities Unity Ball. The keynote speaker is uh, federal judge Jerry Blackwell. Um, and many people know Jerry Blackbell as being the attorney who was the lead uh, prosecutor in the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. Um, he'll be the keynote speaker Friday night. I will also be there as the MC. And uh, in just the last 30 seconds, what do you want people to know about this event and why they should consider coming next Friday? Don't miss it. <laughs> Judge Blackwell is going to be fantastic. I can't wait to hear him myself. I really do see him as a truth teller, and you're going to want to hear what he has to say about how we're living through American democracy right now. Today, yeah, what we can do today to help each other. All right, we've been uh, talking with Marquita Stevens, the president and CEO of Urban League Twin Cities. Next Friday, October 13th, the Urban League is holding its annual Unity Ball. It's in downtown Minneapolis. I'll be there. Uh, The conversation today was produced by Matt Alvarez, and want to let you know it was also made possible by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For more reporting in our North Star Journey series, go to nprnews.org and look for the North Star Journey link. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.